Welcome to Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. I am so glad to bring Arabian Prince to the conversation. Some of you may know him from his time with NWA. Others may know him from his really amazing DJ work or some of the great songs that have beats from him under the hood. But you may not know how he got into all this trouble, how he became such a multidisciplinary creator, and what he is doing now to help other people be able to create in this COVID tech world. My current adventures, which I like to call them, all stem around social good, inner city, youth, giving back to the communities because I know where I came from, you know, growing up in Compton. So my whole life is based on that because I'm just blessed to be able to continually do what I do. And, you know, just being an only child that figured it out at a young age, you know, making a record at 15 and a half years old and um, doing all these other things in technology. I just want to give that information to the next generation of not only kids, but people in the inner city, elderly people, anybody, everybody's creative. You know, I just want to show people this is easy and not hard. So that's kind of what everything I do is based on. I've never heard you comment that you're an only child. Yes. How do you think that affected how you made decisions or how your Um, family made decisions around you, right? Yeah. So it actually did. And I talk about this part a lot. Like my mother was very overly protective of me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that I was an only child. Like I didn't have a big brother in Compton to look after me. I had crazy uncles and cousins who looked after me, but they were way older and they were pretty much the ones out there doing the dirt. <laughs> they were the ones causing yeah, the yeah, trouble, yeah. you know, out in the city. So um, she kept me in the house a lot and they protected me in the house a lot. And I just got fed a lot of information like, here, go read this, go do that, go play with this piece of electronic or this thing or this synthesizer or whatever. And it just expanded my mind as, as a young kid. Because sometimes I mean, people's parents' views of where they could go with their life have pretty tra- tremendous impact. So you were seen as somebody who could go do anything or that was being carefully cultivated? Uh, I would say both, but I was very creative. You know, my mother being a a classical pianist and she worked in aerospace. My father wrote over a hundred books and he was an editor and author of a lot of magazines and newspapers and had a radio show. So everybody did a lot of things in my family and I never knew I was supposed to only do one thing. And, you know, I was born with a very high IQ, which I don't talk about much, but my uncle, I remember I was reading a trigonometry or calculus book or something when I was like five and I was able to kind of figure it out. You know, maybe I didn't get everything right, but I was playing with it and taking notes. And my uncle was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm playing. And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) he's like, you're playing with this book. I hate that book. And, you know, some of the stuff he saw that I had kind of figured it out just by looking at the numbers and, and the symbols. And he was like, wow. You know, so you had all sorts of role models. Oh yeah, 
good, a good, you know, I have a, I do this um, when I speak and I do my, um, what do you call it? A fireside chat, or if I'm, you know, speaking in front of a lot of people and I do the keynote or something in my deck, it says the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what I mean? That's what I have mm-hmm. around me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So where did you decide then to create mischief or content? So you were creating content and doing technology from a young age. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, you know, from, you know, part of the story is my uncles and cousins all got sent away to the military because the only way to get you to stop doing dirt and bad things in the city is send you away. And when they would come back from overseas, they would bring back toys. They would bring back synthesizers and ham radios and CB radios and electronics, things that you probably couldn't get in L.A. at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, definitely not in the hood. And I would just sit in there and play with that stuff and figure it out. So you've got a long journey path of figuring it out. What was the first thing that you look back now and say that figuring it out helped create my path? Um, my cousin, Kenneth who was in the Navy, he comes home and I couldn't have been more than maybe seven years old at the time, maybe eight, maybe a little younger, but he had this big suitcase thing and it was black and I'd never forget it. It was two suitcases and he sat it up on, they had like a a bar in the den and he sat it up on the bar and he opened up the first suitcase and it was a keyboard. And I'm like, interesting. And I knew what that was because my mother was a pianist. And then he opened up this other one and he attached it to the first one. And it had all of these holes and knobs on it. And it had all these wires that he was plugging in. And as I look back, it was an ARP 2600 synthesizer. And it was one of those things where, you know, I was like, what is this? It looks like a mad scientist tool. And I would just sit there and play with it and try to get sounds out of it. And unless you knew what oscillators or LFOs or VCAs were, you couldn't get any sounds. It was just going, eh, eh. and eventually I got sounds and I started playing and started mimicking Parliament Funkadelic because that's all my uncles listened to <laughs> back then. And I would, I learned how to play Maggot Brain and, you know, some of those songs back, um, what's the other one? Maggot Brain and Tales of Kid Funkadelic. I would play that. It was like a 15-minute synthesizer song and I would pick it out and try to play it. So what year was this then? So for there are people of various ages that listen to this. Yes. So some of the question is how how when was this? So I call myself like one of the, you know, Yodas of the music and DJing industry in our culture, you know, like this hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. I was born in June 17th, 1965. So uh that had to be like maybe 72. 1972, 74, somewhere around in there. So 1972. So that's going to be way before some folks who are listening. So they're not going to necessarily have the context. What was happening out in popular culture and culture where you lived in 72? So I tell people, this was the before times. This was before internet. (laughs) There was no internet. Matter of fact, you know, and I, I have a clear picture of my aunt's house. I spent most of my time as a kid since I was an only child at my grandmother's house and my aunt's house. And they lived on the opposite side of a park. So I just run through the park back and forth from one house to the other. And I remember, 
you know, the den, because that's where the bar was. That's where my uncles hung out and, you know, did whatever. And, you know, I played with the synthesizers in there and they had a ham radio. But here's how old this was or how long ago. I remember when cable first started, like Mm -hmm. there was this box and it was just called on TV and it had a key (laughs) that you stuck in the box and you would turn it on or off. And the reason it had a key, because they had adult stuff that if you didn't want your kids, you just take the key out and no one could watch anything. So yeah, that's how long ago this was. So you started out tinkering with synthesizers and creating music when you were a pretty young soul. Yes. Yes. And I was, you know, surrounded by that stuff my whole life. So how did you end up doing your first recording by 15 and a half? So I, being this only child that my mother didn't let me go out much, um, even my cousins, I had a cousin that was my same age. It lived on the other side of town and I would go stay there on the weekends. And his mother was very, you know, open and more free. So when I was hanging out with them, we'd go to the mall by ourselves. We'd do a lot of things by my, by ourselves. But when I was by myself, I couldn't. So um, I would sit in the house and try to figure out ways to get out the house. Like, huh, I need to figure out how I can get out the house. So when I was in, so I went to Catholic school too. That was another thing that probably made me who I was is Catholic school. And we never had a junior high school in Catholic school. Catholic school was kindergarten to eighth grade and then ninth grade to 12th. So there was no going to junior high. You went you know, elementary school, high school. So when I was in the eighth grade, I started kind of picking up DJing because my father had a talk radio show at K-Ace radio station in Los Angeles. And I would go there on the Sundays when he had his talk show and sit in the control room where the DJs did the music all week. And I got to play with all of the carts. You know, they had carts where you put the card in and press the button and the music would play. So I would make little mixtapes on cassette and play with the records. And that's how I learned how to DJ at about maybe 13, 14 years old. And I talked my parents into getting me a turntable. I got a cheap, realistic Radio Shack mixer. My buddy Termite, he ended up buying another turntable and we started trying to be DJs at like 15, 14, 15 years old and got kind of pretty popular being, you know, the DJs of the elementary school scene. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'd like you to take us through how you got into and out of NWA, but that could be an entire five hour conversation, but from the lens of, of, innovation and taking creative risks. Can you maybe take us the short story through? Oh yeah. I figured that one out. I figured the short story (laughs) out. It's pretty simple because, you know, like I said, we, me and my buddy termite, we were DJing, we were doing like, you know, the St. Mary's high school dances and, you know, Sarah dances and St. Bernard's dances, all of the schools we were DJing. And then we ended up doing other little events and I got really popular because I used to always try to dress like Prince. So all the girls liked me. So uh, I started calling myself DJ Prince and then started hanging out and bumping into Dr. Dre and Egyptian lover and unknown DJ and Lonzo from the wrecking crew at skating rinks. Cause I would be invited to DJ at these skating rinks in Compton. And uh, we all hung out. And when I turned I think 15 and a half, right around that time, 
everybody was, there were these Uncle Jam Army dances. You know, that was the big thing, was all these dances that Uncle Jam's Army or Z Cars or a group called LSD or the Wrecking Crew, everybody was doing these cons, mini concerts. It was just DJs doing parties. Some were small, like a thousand people. Some were bigger at this, like this, um, the convention center, 10,000 people. And then Uncle Jam's Army started doing the sports arena with 100,000 people would come to the sports arena or not a hundred thousand, maybe it was 10,000, 20,000 people would just pack in there for a dance. It was crazy. Right. So we would, uh, go and I got inspired and I would hang out with Egyptian lover who was in uncle Jam's army. And I started doing stuff with them. And then Dre and DJ Yella, they were part of the wrecking crew with Lonzo. And I would hang out with them. Cause I was a little tech kid that knew how to do the drum machines and, and the sequencers and the synthesizers. So everybody had me around in their studio to show them how to use stuff. So I got to hang out with all the different crews and they all announced right around the same time that they were going to start making records because rap had started to come out of the East coast. And we used to bring the rappers to the dances. So you bring in um, run DMC or Curtis blow or whoever. And it's like, well, we can do that stuff. And I remember I had a little club, in uh lennox california which is right next to hawthorne called the cave uh, i used to work at a pet store part-time and the guy who owned the pet store owned a little community center that he would hold weddings at and i got to dj a quinceanera there and he met me and was like uh you're pretty good you know you're kind of young and i was like yeah you know i do this i'm, I'm kind of known in the school scene and and I'd like to do this, you know, and I was like, what do you do with this building when you're not doing weddings and quinceañeras? He says, just sits here. I says, look, let me do a party here on the weekends, like Friday and Saturday, and I could pack it out with kids and we could sell soda. And I became like this little entrepreneur and I had my little club called The Cave and everybody in the city would come to my club. And that's how I got into NWA because, you know, I was popular and Dre was popular and they started making records and I wasn't in a crew, so I saved up 500 bucks, and um, the guy at the pet store, Sam Nassif, he gave me another 500 bucks, and I went into a recording studio by myself, I had never been in a recording studio, I knew how to play a synthesizer and mess around with drum machines, I walked in and walked out with a song that I did all by myself and got it on the radio, um, got it pressed, and you know started touring with everybody else, and make a long story short, me and Dre were producing a lot of the hits on the West Coast, you know, for other people and for ourselves. And we were young and didn't know about business. And this is the first thing I tell every kid, every student, every person I meet that wants to get into the entertainment business or any business. They call it the music business for a reason. Yeah, you can do music, but you need to take care of your business. It's the entertainment what? business. It's all about business. So I, we didn't know we were just getting paid 500 bucks here, a thousand dollars here in cash to do these songs for people. And we didn't care because that's more money we could ever see in our lifetimes. But the people that we were doing the records for were keeping all of the royalties and the publishing and the writing and all of that. And we never got it. So um, me and Dre eventually got frustrated by that. And he ended up bumping into this guy, which we call the neighborhood pharmaceutical technician um, in Compton. <laughs> yeah, okay. we figured that one out. His name is uh, Easy E. And we met him 
and uh, start talking. And he wanted to get out of his profession <laughs> and do something a little more safer. And, you know, we wanted to do something else. So he had some money. We had the beats. We joined together and started NWA, brought in Ice Cube, who had his parents had sent away to college to be uh, construction, something like he went to go do architecture or something. Came back from the summer, got Ice Cube, got MC Ren, DJ Yella, and put this group together. And, you know, the rest was kind of history. And then the history came apart at a point in time and you then went out on your own yes but but you already were out on your own so so you kind of returned to being a creative solopreneur i mean you were creating music what was the journey after nwa so it was kind of weird because when i made my first record even before nwa i was messing around with technology and i i was using the little royalty money i was getting to buy computers at 16, 17, I had, you know, every computer that came out, a trash 80, which um, in layman's term, a TRS 80. <laughs> I had uh, the Commodore VIC-20, the Commodore 64, you know, I had the Commodore Colt computer. I had everything out there just to learn how to do that. And the reason I got into it was because when we used to tour, everybody would party and drink and, you know, smoke or do whatever they did. But when video games came out, people stopped partying and wanted to go to arcades and wanted to play with their little handheld ColecoVisions and stuff like that. So I started looking at that like, wait a minute, this is like the new crack here and I want in. Like, I need to figure this video game thing out. So taught myself how to code, taught myself how to do sprite animation, those kind of things. And literally while I was touring with NWA, I was going to SIGGRAPH conventions and um, at the, I think it was Comdex, you know, back then. And learning yep, back in about, the day, back yeah, in the day. learning about technology, and and got approached by companies who saw me playing with their demo hardware and stuff. And like, who are you? Like, why are you so good at this? And I tell them, I have a lot of time on my hands, you know, <laughs> because being in this group NWA, we can't go outside much, you know. And I got invited to do um, um, the first series of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers do visual effects on that. I did Casper, Adam's Family, Silver Surfer, um, a bunch of other shows and movies. And then I hopped over to Fox Interactive and started working on video games and Vivendi Universal. And I, I just was doing two parallel universes at the same time and making a lot of money doing that. And that's kind of how I ended up getting out of NWA is because I had this other career going on. We were getting ripped off by our manager in NWA. I had a hit record with a song called Supersonic by my girl group, JJ Fat, that I produced, that I brought over to our label. Our manager was taking that money, too. So I finally got fed up and was like, I'm out. I don't care if we got a hit record with Straight Outta Compton. It doesn't matter if the police are after me and I'm not making any money. So I got me an attorney and went up to my manager and got it straightened out, got a contract, left. And I was a happy camper. So on all of these things, were you a, an individual independent contractor? Did you create a team around yourself? Did you create a different team around each project? Did you work for the companies as an employee? What was kind of the, the people structure that let you be who you were trying to be with so many different directions? Yeah. So um, when I first got invited to do the Power Rangers thing for Saban, 
they didn't know what to do with me. They were like, you're good. We want you to work on this and we know who you are. And I like, I don't care. I'll sit in the office. You know what I mean? Like I'll sit in the office and, and do whatever. So um, I just literally sat in the office and um, worked on stuff. You know, I worked on the projects just like everybody else. And then when I had to tour, I would just go tour. And um, I did that. And so it was just me as being an employee. Uh, first time I ever gone and sat in HR, you know what I mean? Like, uh, that was kind of weird. Like NWA, do we want this guy working at Saban? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing at, at Fox Interactive, we were doing all of the, the Saturday morning Fox kids stuff. And what happened was, um, we were doing the Saturday morning Fox kids stuff. And, um, I would go over for meetings and then I heard that, um, we were, they were doing, Fox Interactive. And I'm like, ooh, video games. I want to do that, right? And uh, I said, uh, how can I do this? Can I come work here? And they were like, you don't know anything about video games. And I told them, I said, well, you don't either. It's too new. Like, how, what do you know about it? You know, like, you guys got money. So I ended up going over there and being a game tester because that's the only way they would let me come work there. And I would sit there and learn from the inside and they got fed up with that after a while. Like, look, dude, you don't need to be sitting in here. So we're going to make an associate, you know, or lead or something like that. And um, yeah, that's how I kept getting into careers. I just go to companies and figure it out. But meanwhile, you had your own small company on the outside still producing music every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was mostly you and a lawyer. And I mean, so I mean, I, I know that you've got your your studio now at home, but you've been having massive gear at your own home and creating music all the time in this intervening time, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing it all at the same time. And, you know, that's what, I think that's what made it easy for me to transition into the businessman that I am today and to um, self-proclaimed futurist person that I am is that I figured it out at such a young age and it wasn't hard for me. Uh, and especially without internet, you know, like I had to figure this stuff out. All this stuff was brand new. Everybody was trying to figure it out together, you know, 3D animation and special effects and visual effects. And, and you know, I remember when I first started, people were actually editing video off of tape. You know what I mean? It wasn't digital nonlinear editing. It was off of tape. And I was there at the beginning of all of that. So I was able to help shape that future. And I even created some plugins back in the day too. So what are, I mean, you currently still have a buffet of things you're working on. So I'm, I'm aware that you've got gear you've been helping out on, yes. that you've got nonprofits you're working with, that you've yes. got new ventures. Yes. What is your current buffet and where are you trying to take it? So I'm glad you asked that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I've, doing a lot of stuff in the inner cities. I'm working with this company, Sola, Sola Impact. They bought five huge warehouses in South LA and we're putting in a technology center and esports center and COVID slowed it down because we would have been open by now, but we're getting ready to get back to it and try to open by spring. I'm building out all the, the technology for them and putting in the esport and everything like that. Um, 
working with the Boys and Girls Club, doing the same thing. But on my personal side, I know you, you know about the M Classic thing I released. I released that uh, graphics pro the first ever graphics processor for game consoles. That's doing very well. Like we almost raised a million dollars on Indiegogo. And now it's so funny. I go on Yahoo or Google now and I'm just looking at the news and you have little banners that pop up. I'm like, whoa, M Classic banner. And it's got almost five stars on Amazon. I'm like, I did something cool. So that's going well. And my newest adventure that you don't even know about, mm. besides my COVID company, you know, I'm partnered in a COVID company called COVID Tech. I'm working with another company that actually, this is kind of crazy. They approached me because they want to do um, bias. They have a bias company and they want to do bias AI. So create AI that helps with bias. Oh, so I'm wow. all part of that. So um, we're starting that up. But my biggest venture right now is a company called Goat with three Gs. And <laughs> yes, three Gs at the front end of it. Three Gs at the front end of Goat. And okay. we're, we got a few different names. Greatest gaming gear of all time. Greatest gig gear of all time. Greatest gadget gear of all time. It could actually be all of them, depending on what the product is. But basically, I have now officially started my own PC company with the help of some bigger companies like EVGA and iBuyPower and some of my friends at Microsoft and, you know, other places like Samsung and Intel. So, yeah, I've got a lot of friends that are supporting me on this new PC venture. And I'm actually today is official. I'm actually um, getting the website up and we're launching some of the first PC selling some of the first PCs and in invitation only to get them out there. But we're focusing on streaming PCs right now. We're focusing on my DJ friends and my musician friends and entertainers and social media influencers who are out there trying to make money during COVID and stream. But a lot of them don't understand that it's very hard to do a live video stream with, you know, like all kind of graphics and and having everything sync properly on a MacBook. You know, they're not really built for that. Mm -hmm. You really do need a PC and preferably a gaming PC or a PC with the right with a, video card. Yes, on it. with a NVIDIA GeForce twenty eighty or twenty sixty or uh, you know something like that, an AMD graphics processor and and a and a, a PC CPU that's multi-threading. You need that, mm -hmm. and and people don't know how. So what we're doing is creating turnkey systems. So when you buy our PC. When you buy our streaming system, it comes with everything, including a Focusrite um, audio box or, uh, you know, either Focusrite or, you know, um, what's it? Studio Live is Presonus or Native Instruments. Or, or Blackmagic. Or Blackmagic. I just actually, I just partnered with Blackmagic um, and I'm partnering. And what we're trying to do, too, is I'm not I know you can go buy a cheaper PC, but it's going to have a lot of cheap parts in it. Like, I would not want to put a no-name hard drive in my rig that I'm trying to make money with. So we're, you know, really focusing on quality. Like, we're using Samsung NVMEs, the Evos. You know what I mean? We're going to stick mm -hmm. to those because we know that these are proven. We want to build a tank that works that people don't have to worry about. And, uh, yeah, we're launching that product. And I'm going to change my name to probably Gates Jobs Dell Jr., <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that would be my new well, name, Gates Jeff Dale Jr. <laughs> well, well, we really are in a time though where everyone is creating from home, and the ability to not have to worry about something going wrong is really high because your average person is now it's like driving a car that you don't understand what's under the hood anymore. Correct, and and it really has been interesting whether it's you know having the equivalent of geek squad looking over your shoulder to be able to make sure that when you, when your stuff goes down and you're trying to stream it, it's you can't be fragile so that, that that's so coming back we've known each other for a couple of years and you always have something new afoot how do you decide where to put your superpowers how do you decide what's worth your time um so you know, I always have that running joke, running joke. I'm trying to be Dr. Dre to a billion dollars. <laughs> That's my motivation, right? Uh, but, you know, it's all about giving back. So I know the more successful I am in my endeavors, in the things that I do, the more help I can give in the inner cities and the communities. And that's really my driving force. But like I said, all of these things come easy to me. And I can like, like today, I have a song that I'm mixing. And I'm working on music and I'm finishing the website for GOAT, which I'm building myself and I'm building the first PCs myself. I enjoy this. I'm like Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory over here. You know, I got 3D printers. I've got laser cutters. I've got all kind of things going on here and I just love it. I'm the mad scientist. Does it help that the mad scientist isn't traveling? You know what? No, because you know, if you think about it, even when I traveled for DJing, I only really DJed on the weekends. So mm-hmm. during the week, I was sitting in here doing this. And even though I went to conventions, I would go to conventions and I would take my powerful laptops with me and go to the convention, go back to my room, hotel room, and continually do what I do. So yeah, I'm not digging ditches. This is all intellectual property. So, you know, I'm able to do a lot of things. It's great talking. We could backtrack and go through all of this history maybe we will on a second episode sometime but as we wrap up on the time here is there anything you'd like to share we haven't talked about so far um i would just say that you know this is the most important thing and i always say this now and i remind myself to say this now vote go vote i'm not telling you who to vote for you get common sense just go vote and don't complain when it doesn't go your way, if you don't vote. And that's the most like powerful thing I can say right now. So if someone would like to reach out to you, who would you like to reach out to you? And how would you like people to reach out to you? Um, I would say how to reach out to me first is OG Arabian Prince. Just put OG in front of Arabian Prince and OG stands for old guy. Um, hit me there at my social media, even on, uh, I think even on LinkedIn, I'm just OG Arabian Prince NWA at LinkedIn or whatever. That's fine. But um, yeah, I usually respond to people. You know, that's how I deal with a lot of startups. You know, me and you both, we deal with a lot of startups. And I love helping companies that are just getting out there, just, you know, understand a vision. And another thing I want to say to startups or people who want to be creative, simplify. You know, a lot of people build these amazing decks that are like forever. I call them the never-ending gobstopper decks. You know, they just keep going on and on and and talking about. I'm like, and it only does one thing. Like, how did you get this much information out of something that does one thing? Like, tell me what it does. Tell me how much money you need. 
and tell me why you're the person that can make this successful. That's all I need to know. And if you get those formulas together to where you can simplify your product or your idea, you can make a lot of money and be successful. Well, Arabian, we're going to add your links to the show notes. It's great to hear what you're doing, and it's always an adventure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, GZ. I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while, so we got to catch up when the zombies go away. Yeah, when the zombies go away. Yeah. So there's Arabian. He never knew he was supposed to do just one thing, and he has a long track record of doing many different things over the course of time. Is that your own adventure journey? Come join us at creativeinnovatorspodcast.com. Find out about more opportunities there. Join our mailing list and share this episode with three friends to show that maybe you don't have to do just one thing. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint. So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content, where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators, as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.